and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Well, it's great to be here with you today. There's some people who love Jesus here this morning. Is that right? I could hear that. Let's pray. Father, help us today to have a deeper understanding of your love for us. Help us to deeply reflect what it means for us and who we are in you. Transform us today, Lord, through your love by understanding just how much you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. I got some good news for you today. You were born to be lovers. Yeah? (laughs) You were born to be a lover. It says in Genesis that we were made in the image of God. In James, it says in His likeness. So what does it say about God? In 1 John, we read, we read that it says that God is love. It says that, beloved, let's love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God, does not love, does not know God because, as it says, God is love. You were made, made to love. You were made to be loved. You were made to love others. You were made to be in relationship with others. And most significantly, because God's like us in this respect. He loves. He wants relationship. And you were made to be in relationship with God. To love is to be human. It is the essence of human dignity. It's in many ways what separates us because when we love, it's not an instinct, it's an act of will. See, if we choose to love one another, we make a decision to do that. It's a conscious act of will that I will love. I will love. The relationships we form, be they marriage relationships, be they other relationships we have, we choose, we love because we know that there are plenty who don't. And we know that those relationships don't endure. Oftentimes. Love is something we choose to do, but it was something we were born to do because God has enabled this. St. Augustine, was one of the great patriarchal fathers of the church, predating the big split and all of these things. Want to know about more of it? I've been reading a bit about it over the last few months. But St. Augustine reportedly said this. He said, you are what you love. I want to talk to you today about who do you think you are. 
God, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your friends, strangers, enemies. If this is who we love, that's going to tell a story about your life. I've been to too many funerals. We all have, but it's part of life. But the ones I love going to are the ones when you hear the stories, not about what they did, but who loved them and who they loved. But you know, there's another story when we love power. I've seen a bit of that. When you love success or honour or status, when you love pleasure or wealth or comfort, when you look back at a life that has been lived in the love of these things, it tells a very, very, very different story. So how you love, what you love, who you love has a big impact. It says in Romans chapter 1 that the world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I've often reflected on this. And the world will tell you who you are based on what it thinks is important. And it's a lie. Because I've just told you what God says is important. God says love in Him being in relationship with Him, loving others is what's important in life. And that's what we are created to do. But, you know, the world will tell you achievements, what job you have, what education you have, what money you have, your appearance, your gender, your race, your age, your ethnicity, all of these things, they'll say that's who you are. That's how you're defined. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we had to be wary of this. I used to love the story when I was in Sunday school of the wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, the world has plenty of salespeople who are trying to sell you beachfront real estate <laughs> when it comes to telling you who you are. It looks good. You go down to Green Hills, you see, you know, they're great places. We should add one. <laughs> but they're on the sand. And they look great. And they're awesome. But you know what? That's not what God says we should build our identity upon. We should build our house on the rock. And this morning, I want to tell you about some of those beachfront properties the world's trying to tell you is, uh, is what you are and who you are and what you're about. I want to start with the first one. You know, what's one of the first things that happen? You're in a social setting perhaps or... You know, you're meeting someone, you're out in coffee or you're in an event or, and you get introduced and they say, oh, good day, Scott. Um, what do you do? Doesn't take long to get to that question, does it? It's one of the first questions. What do you do? And it's an innocent question. I don't think it's really melt with any malevolence behind or no one's trying to have a crack at you. It's just culturally, I think, what we're conditioned to say, well, what do you do? You know, where do you fit in? What's your contribution? What, what defines who you are? I want to know something about you and what, who you are. So what do you do? Yeah. 
Well, I want to tell you this morning that God says you're more than what you do. And in fact, it really has little to do with who you are. You are way more than what you do. And you know, as Christians, sometimes we think we know this. I did. I thought I knew this, that we were more than our jobs. Now, I lost a big job. But it's not the one you think I'm going to tell you about. I was in my mid to late 30s and I lost a very big job. It was humiliating. It was very public. It was soul destroying. It was depressing, general, remember how I felt at that time. I used to be the managing director of a thing called Tourism Australia. I'd been there for several years. It's a great job. Kept Jenny and I apart from each other a bit too much, but travelled the world. We had offices all around the world dealing with interesting things, went to some of the most amazing places in this country you could ever think of. And I was really enjoying this job and we were doing very, very well. But I, I didn't get on that well with the minister at the time. And we ended up having a bit of a falling out and uh, I ended up being moved on from that job. Now, I haven't got the time to go into all the details of that today other than to tell you this. I thought I had it sort of pretty much all together. I thought I was going places. I've had this great job and I had you know, 150 people working for me. There's $130 million in budgets I was looking after every year. And we were, we were doing well. And I thought, well, I do this well here and this is setting me up and then one day, I might go into politics and that'll be great. But you know, I was doing all this. I was doing all this. And I thought, here it all, it's all coming together. And then boom, I got back from a trip I'd just done to Tokyo. And I get in one morning, I was up in Cairns and I get a phone call from the chairman. And he basically says, mate, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you're out. And I couldn't believe it. And so this hit me like a truck, but I was about to learn a very important lesson. One day, I was at Hillsong City at the time with Jen. The girls hadn't, were not yet born. And Joel LaBelle, I don't know if many of you know Joel, some guys still know Joel, great guy, great pastor mate of mine. And uh, I was feeling terribly sorry for myself one day and we were having coffee. And Joel said to me, mate, you need to understand that you're more than your job. He said, mate, you really need to get it and see God yourself as God sees you. See, what Joel then took me through was I had nothing to prove to God. I I couldn't achieve his standards and nor any longer did I have to because of what Jesus had done. I already knew that I was precious in his sight. I already knew that he'd given everything for me, sacrificed everything for me. He had demonstrated my value to him already on the cross. So I could have a relationship with him which could truly transform who I was in the love of God. I was who I was in relationship with, and that was God. And how that enabled me to love others and be in relationship with others. Now, 
we can hear these things, right? And we go, yeah, that's true. A lot of you are saying, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Yeah, it's true. But okay, there I was, out of a job in a pretty publicly humiliating way. That didn't change. God still loved me, but they were still the facts. And so I had to decide what was going to happen next. And so I went through this process of really asking the question, do I believe everything that I've invested my faith in over all of these years? I became a Christian when I was 12. Did I really believe it? Did I really believe that Jesus loved me? Did I really believe he would never forsake me? And that was one of the verses that kept coming back to me over this period of time. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But did I believe it? Did I really believe it? It says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for your prosperity, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Okay. So was I prepared to let go, as they say, and let God? So I said, yes, okay, God, we're in this. I'm all in. I'm all in. And then helpfully in Jeremiah 9 and verse 12, it says what to do when you've answered the question that way. And this is what you do. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me on your knees. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will let myself be found by you. That's where you go. If you really believe that God's plans for you are for your prosperity and not for disaster and to give you a future and a hope, that's where you go. So we made a decision. We moved here to the Shire. We made a decision still to go ahead and seek to go into politics. And I ran for pre-selection here for the seat. Bruce Baird was the member at that time and is going to retire. And so you might think, oh, and yeah, that all turned out well. You moved down here, you put your trust and faith in God and you, and you went and here we go. I lost. <laughs> we put everything into this. We, I remember Abby was born just towards the end of the pre-selection. Jenny and I were sitting on her bed at the hospital, stuffing um, envelopes full of my pre-selection material on the very bed in the maternity ward. Jen loved that. She thought that was just <laughs> terrific. Just terrific. She is stoked. <laughs> Not. <laughs> anyway, you know, we passed up jobs so we could commit to this. I felt this is what we should do. And I lost. I got eight votes. There's 160 odd people in the pre-selection. But you know what? This time, there was not the same reaction. Sure, I was disappointed and I was a bit confused. We'd just been blessed with Abby's arrival. And I remember coming home that night after um, we'd lost the pre-selection. And there were a few friends there. There weren't too many had voted for us, but the few that were there were there. And... I just looked at Abby and I looked at God's blessing in my life and Jan and everything that was there. And I just said, we're just going to keep trusting. This time I had a peace. I knew he wasn't going to forsake us. 
Now, as things happen, I find with God, a month or so later, the pre-selection got overturned and here I was winning another one and, well, the rest is history. And went on and have had the great privilege to serve uh, in some amazing roles over the course of my political career. But, you know, none of that defined who I am. I won an election. I lost an election. I made some good decisions. I made some ones that I wish had been better. But none of these things changed my identity in Christ. And so, you know, when someone asks you now, And when I think about it now, what do you do? What's my answer to that question? I find it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I live by faith. That's what I do. If you're a Christian and you love God and you know he loves you, your answer to that question is, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So whatever you do, if you're a school teacher, if, if you're driving buses, if, if you're a pastor, if, if you're working uh, as an age, in aged care, if, it doesn't, if you're a lawyer, well, I, I'll pray for you. <laughs> I'll pray for you. If you're any of these things, that's what you do but it's not who you are because what you really do is you do this. You live by faith. You live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and He gave Himself up for you. That's what you do. That's what you do and that's how you live it out. There's another thing. So that's beachfront property number one. Here's another one. You are more than your attributes, your gender, your age, what language you grew up with, your ethnicity. These are all things that sort of make up parts of you, but they're not really who you are. We had a Bible study, still do, um, which I joined when I first went into the parliament. Now, 15 years ago, and run by a good friend of mine, Jock Cameron, uh, Brad knows him. And each Tuesday of the sitting week would come together. And we ended up holding it in my own office for many, many years and and still do. And we did all the way through the time when I was Prime Minister, but I couldn't always be there on a Tuesday night for obvious reasons. But they would meet in my office um, because I loved the idea that as we were dealing with the things that we were dealing with every day, that there were brothers and sisters who were praying in my office every Tuesday night, not just for me, but for, for, for each other. And they would share things about their lives. And, you know, people used to thought, think this was some sort of little political sect group in, in the parliament. Uh, they couldn't believe that people would just get together and just pray for each other and share the word. And there was one fellow there, uh, he was Jewish. And he introduced me to the writings of a guy called Jonathan Sachs. Now, he sadly passed away not that long ago, Rabbi Sachs. And he's written some amazing books. And he talks about this issue of, of who are we? And he quotes Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14. And I only want to pull out one section of it. And we all know it. He says, I am awesomely and wonderfully made. You created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks because I was awesomely and wonderfully made. 
You may remember I was fearfully and wonderfully made in other translations. And that goes to our essence, our human dignity. And this is what Rabbi Sachs would often teach about and how human dignity sensed in you being someone that the divine that God has created is so fundamental. And he said it wasn't just fundamental to you. It's actually fundamental to the very things Brad was talking about before, about freedom that we are able to experience in countries like Australia. Our democracy, our liberty, all of this, it's all based on one important thing that came from the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have, and that is as an individual human being, you are unique. You are God-created. He has designed every element of you. And so you have a worth that is not replicated with anyone else in this building or anywhere else in this world. And this sits at the heart. And so it means that it provides the foundation for our morality in a society where we can look across the table at the person just like us and we can love them and we can understand our own vulnerabilities and we can respect theirs. And it is the whole basis for how we can live together when we get a handle on the fact that we were created uniquely and specifically by God. And when societies don't do that, when societies start to fall apart, when autocracy starts to rise its ugly head and tyranny emerges, what's the first thing to go? Respect for human dignity. And there's no one other than the Jewish people who have walked this earth who understand that better than them. And Rabbi Sachs would often teach that. You don't engage in the worst genocide the world has probably ever seen unless you lose your respect for human dignity. And that is a timely lesson from that awful time which Rabbi Sachs brings to us. So you know what? If we're going to see ourselves as our gender or our racial background or our ethnicity or our language or our age or anything like this, we're selling ourselves short because you are more than any one of those things and the combination of them. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So don't buy it. Don't invest your whole identity in these things and often the grievances that sit with these as just as they may be because you are more than that and you are more than any and any one of these things. And I've seen so much of this in recent times. Every human being is unique. The next one I wanted to tell you about is that you're more than what has happened to you. You are not defined by your past. I remember... At the uh, start of 2021, we had just come through what I thought was going to be the hardest year in 2020 through the pandemic. I think we all remember it. We certainly stayed home for it. (laughs) It was a tough time. And uh, we finally, Jenny and I and the girls, got to have a holiday at the end of 2021. And we went down the south coast of New South Wales with some friends and Um, I I got to be there for a week and then I had to go back to Canberra. And as I left, I was pretty disappointed about that. But um, when I travel around with my wonderful team, who you've all got to meet over these last four years and are here again still with me today, 
um, I'd often put the little earpieces in and I'd listen to something. And I was listening to Rick Warren on the way back uh, from the South Coast, driving back to the lodge in Canberra. And Rick, who I've always appreciated his sermons and his teaching, Rick was reflecting on the past year and how much uncertainty there had been. And he was also talking about the election that had just been held in the United States and, and the events that were taking uh, soon to take place. And it was um, a time of great instability, uncertainty in the United States. And Rick's message was, was pretty simple. You want some more certainty in your life, you've got to get yourself back in the Word of God. You've got to get yourself back in the Word of God. And you can't control what's happening out there, but you can you can control what you're focusing on. You can really start to look at what you're focusing on and what's going in your mind. Look, um, I'm sure it's similar for you. I mean, you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you reach for? Your phone. <laughs> you can imagine what was on my phone each morning. And uh, overnight, any number of things could have happened. Um, the intelligence reports would come in, uh, there would be a range of briefings, uh, what was happening on that day. Some mornings I was doing media, some days I wasn't. Anyway, it sort of got to the point on some days where I didn't want to wake up in the morning because I didn't want to see what was on that phone. <laughs> That's how, how difficult it could become, particularly at some times. And what came into your soul yeah. Yeah. in those first 10 minutes when you woke up pretty much set the path for the rest of the day. Wow. And so I felt challenged from this sermon from Rick. You know what? You've got to get something else in your spirit at the start of every day. You've got to get God's Word into you before the world puts its Word into you over the course of the day. And look, I'd always you know, had a, a habit of my devotions. Um, I can't say I'm the most faithful on that front, but I'd always had a habit of it. Hands up for those of all of you who are just perfectly faithful in your devotions of every day. Look at the hands streaming up. <laughs> We know, God knows, He does know. I would tend to do them when, at night when it was a bit quieter and then God said, don't do that. Well, you can still do a second one if you like. But He said, I wanna to talk to you first thing before you hear from anyone else every single day. So I set about reading the Bible from cover to cover when I got back. And it took me about 18 months. Now, that didn't change what was gonna happen over the next 18 months. But I can tell you, it helped me. It changed me. And that took us through everything 2021 brought, which was the most difficult year. And then into 2022 and this year when, of course, we, we lost the election. But each and every day I would have this word coming. And I remember pausing on the story of Hezekiah. I've always been fascinated by Hezekiah. My first minister used to joke with, the, with, his, with his congregation. He said, could you turn to the book of Hezekiah? And people would <laughs> look at each other. Some would look for it. <laughs> anyway, there were 42 kings of Israel and Judah and one queen. 450 years. But there were just seven good kings. Seven out of 43. <laughs> now, one of the worst was a bloke called Ahaz. You may have heard of him. Now, this guy would have made the producers of Game of Thrones blush. Now, I'm sure none of you watch Game of Thrones. Or none of you would watch that. Pastor Brad, Pastor Christie, I'm sure no one here is watching that. 
It would make them blush. He robbed and defiled the temples. He had prostitutes at the temples. He even burnt children to death as sacrifices. This was, and there was some stiff competition, but this guy was probably the worst. And when you read about the kings of Israel, you you read about, and his son did the same thing and they all got buried in the same place and it was a complete disaster and it just went one to the next, as it was with their fathers. But Hezekiah, he was different. You know, based on who Hezekiah's father was, could you imagine growing up in a house like that? Could you imagine growing up, here you are, the son of the king and he's doing this every day and this is what you've grown up with. This is your entire experience. This is the example that was given to you that you should follow by your dad as a king for when you would become a king. What chance did he have? I mean, you probably just want, if it was turned into a series, you'd just, you know, forward fast to the end and it'd be the same. He went the same way with his fathers. They buried him in the same place and he's a complete disgrace. But that's not what happened. In 2 Kings 18 too, I like the message translation of this. It says, in God's opinion, Hezekiah turned out to be a good king, keeping to the standards of his ancestor, David. He was one of the magnificent seven. He sought to turn his nation back to God. He restored the temple. He listened to the prophets, particularly Isaiah. He struck down the idols. He trusted God when they were attacked. And he was even credited with compiling the biblical books of Isaiah, Proverbs, Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. Now, that's not a bad effort for someone who started off in such a difficult spot, you know. And he had his bad days too. He didn't get everything right. But it says of Hezekiah that there was no king quite like him, either before or after. And this is because Hezekiah refused to let his heritage or his past define him. He said, our our experiences, you know, our failures, our sins, they lie to us about who we are. They lie to us. They tell us we're worthless. They judge and they accuse us. That might be happening to you right now. They tell us our identity is so damaged that we can never live down our past or our heritage, let alone be forgiven for it. Hezekiah chose to be transformed through his relationship with God. In in 2 Kings, not Hezekiah 18 chapter 6, In 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, Hezekiah put his whole trust in the God of Israel and he held fast to God and he never loosened his grip and God for his part held fast to him through all of his adventures. He found his way forward in relationship with God and we are no different. We don't have to allow our past failures, our setbacks, and our heritage to determine who we are because, you know, God has a better way. Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Don't let your past lie to you about who you are and who you can be and what your future is. Because it says in Romans that we are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians it says, your life is hidden with Christ in 
God. The world has changed the truth of God for a lie. Don't listen to those lies anymore. Don't let them tell you who you are. Don't tell them that you're your past. And your past I'm not talking about could be just sins or mistakes or stuffing things up. Hands up, yes. (laughs) We're all in that boat. It could be terrible abuse. It could be having an awful childhood. It could be terrible loss and devastation, despair, giving up hope. Christy was talking before about some of you might have been ripped off or dealt with unfairly. There are people sitting in prisons who are innocent as well as guilty. Think of John the Baptist. His head served up in humiliation to his enemies. Your past, your heritage, what you were born into, that doesn't determine who you are. Christ has a different story. I want to, that's what I want to talk to you about now in the minutes we have remaining and the keys on can come up. Rabbi Sachs said something else. He said, and he was talking about the Jewish people, he said, to be a Jew is to be defined by the one who loves us. That's powerful. And that's true for all of us. And no one loves us more than God. See, we're not just, Augustine was right. We are defined by who we love. But more importantly, we are actually defined as Christians by who loves us. I, was, I remember at a Hillsong conference I was at many years ago and Pastor Joseph Prince was speaking. And he reminded us that John described himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, he was quite funny about it. Because, you know, there's, John wasn't unique. It's not like he said, no, no, he, he, God loves me. He doesn't like you, Peter and James. And, you know, it's, Christy is the, the pastor that Jesus loves. <laughs> he is, she is. But we are all in that situation. We all have that mantle over our lives because John wasn't the only one who Jesus loved. But it was John, though, who chose to see himself that way. And that's the truth. It was John who, when asked the question, who do you think you are? His answer was... I am the one that Jesus loved. He saw his entire life through the lens of God's love. Everything. You know, when you put those glasses on, that changes everything. You can see through bitterness. You can see through disappointment. You can see through loss. You can also see through success because that can lie to you just like all these other things can, I can assure you. And we see it through John all the way through the Bible in the message translation of his letter, first letter that's recorded in the Bible. It says, this is how God showed His love for us. He couldn't stop Himself about talking about God's love for Him. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
This is the kind of love we're talking about, he pleads. Not that we once at a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. He understood that it was love of God that restored this relationship that had been broken. And as it says in 1 John 4 and verse 17, Why do we love God? I said that this morning when I first got up. I said, we've got some people who love Jesus here. Well, I'll tell you why you love Jesus. Because He first loved us. Charles Wurz, I love this hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace. He emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. His mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. You've been found out by God's amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be? And I like the old words, that thou my God should die for me. God's love is the rock you can build your identity on. That's the rock. That's the better neighbourhood you need to move to and be looking in when it comes to understanding your identity in God. Because you know what? God's love is transformational. It transformed Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. It took Rahab from prostitution and made her the great grandmother of King David. It took Mary from being a quiet and frightened teenager shunned by her entire community. And she became the mother of Jesus. It can transform each and every one of us, each and every day. Because you know, there has never been any force ever that is more powerful than the love of God. If you feel you're looking into an abyss and the darkness, there is only one force that overcomes that that will pierce through that and hit you like a shard of light. And that is the love of God. It's, it's indestructible. It's incomprehensible. It's inexhaustible. It never ceases. It can't be defeated. It can't be corrupted. I can't describe it, but I'm giving it a go. It's eternal. It's perfect. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's infectious. It's relentless because He never gives up on you. It's merciful. His love excels, it overcomes, it heals, it redeems and it sanctifies. I used to love, I was telling Jen and the girls this story this morning. I love the song in Sunday school. It's so high, you can't get over it. It's so low, you can't get under it. It's so wide, you can't get round it. You can't get around it. Nothing can separate you from it. So I can say with Paul in Romans 8, 38, and I'll finish on this. For I am convinced. What are you convinced of today? I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, governments that is, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor the height, nor the depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from God's love. And if you allow Him to, your choice, your act of will, 
That's how he made you to love. God will transform your life. So when asked, who do you think you are? You'll be able to say what John said. And you can say, I am the one Jesus loved. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love and how it completely encompasses us, that it is the rock on which our lives are built. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you gave in Jesus. That was the ultimate demonstration of that love that enables us to be in relationship with you and know life, Lord, in a way that we can't imagine. We thank you that we are accepted by you in Christ, that we are loved by you. Now, if there's anyone here this morning who wants to be transformed by the love of Christ, who wants to know a bit more about what I've been talking about, and you don't have to, you may, you may have known the Lord for the last 40 years, for the last 40 days, but you just want to understand better the love of God and you want it to transform your life. Now, if you're in any of those circumstances this morning, I just ask you to raise your hands and say, Lord, let me understand your love and let it transform my life. Just shoot your hand up and say, I want to know God's love transforming my life. And there'll be here those in this room, my eyes are closed, who will see your hand and they'll come and they'll, they'll come and share with you and support you. Lord, thank you for this wonderful privilege to share. Thank you for the love of God that connects all of us. But most importantly, Lord, thank you for the love which connects us with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.